Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley filling in for Tom today. I hope you're doing great. It's a blustery day in the Valley of the Sun, and with me is a friend who I love, who brings sunshine into my heart. His name is Danny Berboa. Danny, good to have you with me today. Great to be here, Mark. How are you doing? Good. Um, Danny is a man who has many talents. He runs a barbershop, owns a barbershop. He is a realtor, and he is a disciple of Christ. He's going to begin a new Spanish-speaking ministry out at Living Streams, and we're really glad to have you with us, Danny. I am glad to be here, too, and excited. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Let our listeners get to know you, where you grew up, how you ended up here in Phoenix. Well, born and raised in Culiacán, Sinaloa, which is in the northwest coast of Mexico. Um, Spent the first 15 years of my life there and um, was born in a Christian home. Uh, uh, Ended up being part of the worship band in our church at nine years old. Really? And uh, just started following Christ and doing missionary work at a very very early age. So how did you get so good at English? Came here at 15 years old. Like every other uh, immigrant, I joined the ESL program at the local high school there. Really? And uh didn't take me long to find out that uh, I had to catch up. Otherwise, I was going to fall behind. So mm-hmm. so it just uh, started learning and just talking to people. So how did you guys make the move to America? I mean, was it a, a planned thing? Was it something you had talked about for a long time? Or what was the deal? Well, the, 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 the biggest reason behind it was that... Uh, my dad wanted to be part of a ministry here in Phoenix, mm-hmm. which he's still part of that ministry today. And uh, he just wanted us to have a better future. All uh, You know, it, that was a big picture. But the biggest reason was to, yeah, to be, join the church that was here in the Valley and bring us with him uh, to, to America to seek a so better opportunity. was he legal or not so legal? Well, the first time he came, he came as a, as a uh, migrant worker uh-huh. under the temporary visa into the mm-hmm. fields in California in the Fresno area back in the 80s. And the 80, 1988 amnesty is what legalized oh, him and wow. along with him, our whole family, yeah. What a blessing, huh? Yeah, it was truly a blessing, yeah. So um, how often do you get back to Mexico? Um, try to go once once a year if I can. Now we have a, a routine here to go on the Dunmurro, uh trip down to Rocky Point. So that's going to be definitely one trip out of the year, but... Yeah, about, about once a year. About once a year, huh? So tell us about your faith in Christ. How did you really start to love Jesus? Um, after, after being raised in, Christian, in a Christian home with Christian values, it, it, was, it was a set of rules. And mm-hmm. when I had the freedom to make my own decision, I wanted to go and explore the world and all the enticing things that it offers, right? So uh, I was about, I think I was 21 years old when I found myself... Uh, I owned my own business already, and I had uh, mm-hmm. the freedom that I wanted, had my own house, lived alone, and getting a taste of what the world had to offer, uh, I, I ran out of joy very quickly. In about yeah. three years, I was t- tired of partying and, and doing all those things, and I, I, I had to stop and look at what would bring me joy again because I was going into a very bad depression at 21 yeah. years old. Yeah. 
I had an encounter with Christ then, and, and, and that, that was really the turning point for me. My guest is Danny Berboa, and uh, he's a true man of God and a friend, and I think you're going to enjoy this interview. I want you to stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church, and I'm interviewing Danny Berboa. Danny, uh, Daniel is a uh, man who loves the Lord. He's got a wonderful family, Lily, and two beautiful daughters, and he's beginning a Hispanic ministry. Um, Daniel, what are some of the concerns of Spanish-speaking people? You have a barbershop, and so you're serving customers, all kinds of customers. A number of your customers speak Spanish. What are their concerns? Um, well, Coming into a to a new country, there's def- definitely uh, a concern to to uh, uh, reach stability mm-hmm. financially and also socially because there's a, a process of adapting to a new community, a new society that mm-hmm. they go through. Uh, definitely, they have to cross uh, the language barrier initially, and then uh, be able to connect with people around them and and have the normal life that they had back home, back home mm-hmm. uh, to a process of adapting to, to the new place, yeah. So the Lord tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, And obviously, immigration's a real big issue. It's a big issue in the presidential race right now. It, it makes me really sad that more believers are so adamant about illegal immigration, like we're going to build this big wall and make Mexico pay for it, which... First of all, no nation can make another nation pay for anything unless you go to war. And, Pretty much. Uh, to, to advocate going to war when people are basically just trying to survive and take care of their families, to me, is not a, a an attitude a believer should ever support. But um, you, you and your family have resettled. You've made the transition. You guys love the Lord. You make contribution in our society. Um, what what does your heart tell you about how we as a nation should deal with the immigrant situation when you've got a lot of illegals here and more that want to come? What are some of the things you've thought through about this? Well, I've thought about the different aspects of, of this issue that we have with illegal immigration, and one of them is that security is important mm-hmm. and that abiding by the law is important as well. Uh, the complex uh, uh area of this issue is where you have uh, half of this generation who is born in this country and half of mm-hmm. them who came illegally. And uh, it, they, I think it would re- take a lot of wisdom to to be able to define where we have to set the law and, yeah. if, it, and if it should be retroactive or if we should look into the future mm-hmm. with the measures of security and just optimizing the way people enter this country. So I think... Uh, what 
what I would apply into into this issue is that just like we we have certain uh, duties towards God and certain others with the law, uh, we should also allow our, our our lawmakers to be able to come together and pray over that so that they can uh, find that line where, where where it's at. That's right. Um, one of the things to me that in, in terms of the law that everybody needs to understand is if your wife's pregnant, she's about to give birth to a child, and you jump in the car because labor started prematurely and you're rushing to the hospital, you're not so concerned with going 35 miles an hour in a 35 zone. You're concerned with getting her there as safe as you can without getting in a car wreck and killing her. But you're not that concerned um, when the life of your family is at stake. And what Americans need to realize is that many refugees are coming here. Syria, for instance, uh, we're, we're being real stingy about how many we let in. We're, we're not even letting Christian refugees in, Christians whose lives are being threatened by ISIS, because we have a fear that, well, maybe one of them is actually an ISIS member in disguise. And uh, that kind of fear, uh, when people are fleeing for their lives, is not loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And I think I think that one thing that has affected the American heart is that we've grown cold and alienated from the same feelings that our pioneers and founders right. felt and that brought them to this nation. And I think a certain level of compassion should be in, in the mix here with, with people coming from other countries whose country is not even there no more. It's in ruins right. and in rubble and in war. And they have no place to stay. So right, and you've got people in El Salvador and and uh, some of those other countries escaping gang violence, narco wars that are, you know, destroying the lives of thousands of people. To me, that's an analogy like your your wife's in early labor and you're trying to save your child by getting to the hospital on time. If people are fleeing some of those situations. Um, the law of survival trumps whether or not uh, we have a border that's been crossed legally or illegally. That's my take on right. it. Right, and it does. It, I don't think it will make human sense for a mother to bring her child through the desert 115 degrees when there's a safe place at home. But when, right. when staying home is not an option, it's really, it's really time to make a decision of what's best for me, what's best for my, best for my children, and, and pursue that even if you're going to risk your life doing it. Amen. So you have a ministry reaching out to Spanish-speaking people that's just giving birth. Tell me some of the goals of that ministry. How do you got, want to make disciples in that culture? Well, I think um, one thing that we can, that our hearts burn to bring to the Hispanic community is the the model of having a Christian family that is healthy and that is a safe place for their families to grow and mm-hmm. follow Christ together. And um, I think it's something that is not offered to the Hispanic community. And I've been able to experience both worlds. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that a lot of the Hispanic churches uh, lack a sense of freedom to follow Christ and apply the system that has been through generations uh, structure in the church. So uh, the healthy structure of having a, a, a free place for people to come and, and follow Christ is what we want to translate from the from our existing English-speaking church and offer it to the Hispanic community. Amen. We want them to have a healthy walk with Jesus, not controlled, not manipulated. 
by a prophet or pastor or leaders that exalt themselves, but we want to serve these people. We want them to come to know Jesus and grow in maturity in Christ. So like you said, they can bless their family, provide for their family, provide for their children, have a stable, healthy life. Yes, amen. Um, What I have seen as well that I would like to be able to promote with the Hispanic community is that um, our passion for discipleship, for, for, for being able to share the gospel with others in that healthy manner, will the culture of Hispanics, they're so passionate about mm-hmm. something that they love. So I know that once they, they, they have a, a taste of what, what being a healthy Christian is, mm-hmm. they, 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 their passion that is in their bones is going to just run like a fire. And that's what we're excited to see, to, to see people just take the gospel with ex- excitement and, and, and joy. So every culture does have strengths and weaknesses. What are some of the other strengths of the Hispanic culture? You mentioned passion, that uh, a deep love. When they find something that's good and healthy, they love it. They love their football. <laughs> you know, they love their music. Tell us about the Hispanic culture. Well, one thing that the, the family is huge in the Hispanic community, right? So their their sense of family closeness combined with survivorship, I think makes a, a, a neat element when it comes to church and community. Mm-hmm. Because um, if you can get them to join their hearts for a common cause, and in this case will be the gospel, uh, I think uh, the need for for financial resources or, 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 or uh, a structure would be secondary, but the common purpose of what's what's in their heart to be shared and to 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 uh, tell others what uh, about something good that's taking place makes it easy and it makes it uh, uh, a good factor for for growth. And Hispanics, I think, they can come together even if they don't have the resources, and they'll just go and tell their neighbor and whoever they encounter. And uh, I think um, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna promote growth. And and uh, and it's it, it, what we want is we want to be able to share the word of God with as many as possible, and I think Amen. that's gonna that's gonna uh, help us do that in a in a easier, faster way. Um, so I want you to talk about your personal walk with the Lord because you have a lot of responsibilities. You know, you you and Lily have two little girls you're raising. You've got a booming barber shop, and you can tell people how to get there if you want. <laughs> You've got a real estate business. You've got you're active in the worship department at Living Streams. You're you're going all the time. How do you stay healthy and and stay close to the Lord? Well, I think uh, having a busy uh, uh, routine uh, makes you. Uh, break down the idea that you can only pray in your prayer closet and you can only worship once a week when you go to church or you can only find time with God when you're alone and not doing anything else. And I think what it has allowed me to see is that when I'm driving between appointments or while I'm I'm even working in those times, it says there's an altar in my heart that can can make contact with the Lord and and stay close to Him. And, And there's an ongoing prayer that can that can last 24-7 while you're doing something else. It doesn't mean that I don't have to seek alone time with God, but the desire of my heart to serve the Lord, uh, I can't let that be affected by a busy routine. And 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 behind it all, my, my, my desire is to be able to reach stability 
and 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 put my priorities in place so that I can make serving God um, the top priority of my life and and everything else to be put in order by Him and not by me. Amen. Amen. So we just got done with a season of fasting. Um, tell us how that impacted you, and what was the discipline of fasting for you? How did you embrace it? Well, I, I what I did initially is I, I asked the Lord what I could share because the, the theme of our fasting this year was to f- fast, pray, and share. And uh, I, I wanted to share something that was meaningful and that would cause an impact and that would also allow me to go beyond my comfort boundaries so I, I asked the Lord, besides fasting and, and being able to give up uh, certain foods at certain times of the day, uh, to, to put in an effort into this fast. And, and I felt he was telling me to that the best thing that I can share with people is himself, is him. Mm-hmm. And so through this three-week p- period of fasting, uh, I made it a point to share Christ with others. And uh, it's been a blessing for me. Wonderful. Okay, I'm going to ask you about your business because you run a, a booming little business, and I know people be interested in how does a believer operate a business in a world where people aren't always responsible and faithful and uh, do it without just yelling and screaming and all the rest. Stay tuned. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. I'm interviewing Daniel Berboa. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to uh, Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley with Daniel Berboa. Daniel, uh, tell us about your barbershop, where it's located, how you got into the business, and then I want you to tell about the challenge of managing people. Well, um, yeah, Danny's Barbershop has been around for about 11 years, and we're located at the southeast corner of Bethany Home Road and 27th Avenue, right around the corner from Grand Canyon University. And uh, I started there... um, just chasing the dream after working for for a, a local barbershop for about five years, and whose owner was actually a very good friend of mine, a mentor, mm-hmm. and he inspired me to do do my own thing. You know, so uh, in two thousand five, uh, I, I I went after it. We got started. I started with one chair. One uh, chair. I, I was hey, I was young and just determined to find a corner somewhere in town and I knew I could make it happen you know I think the was first was it the tiniest little shop in the world I well, mean one that, chair that place it? yeah that place had actually has actually been a barbershop since 1964 okay the old man who 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 owned it since was uh, I don't know close to 200 years old at that time and he was just done so uh-huh. we took over and we thought we were going to do a light remodel then the city of phoenix says no this place is busted you got to redo the whole thing so I, I was I was so broke, Mark, that uh-huh. I just said, you know, even if I got to clean people's face with a paintbrush, I'm I'm starting up. <laughs> so I opened up and I started cutting hair, and um, it, it's just been uh, it's been a roller coaster, but it's been a blessing. It, it has provided financial stability for me and my family, and and with that, I I had to grow with the business, you know, yeah. and and become wiser as the years have, have gone by, 
And managing people has really been uh, a lifelong lesson for me because as I grow with my business, I, I've, I've grown as a Christian, as a believer, and, and I've, I've, I've learned that uh, God has taught me that I, I have to bring the love of Christ into the business place in a way that I can, in a way that I can give people opportunity and actually give grace instead of judgment. Because my first few years, I, I, I was quick to fire people, and God mm-hmm. had to teach me that hey, you know, even to, through work, you can uh, you can show the love of Christ by giving someone an opportunity, and uh, it has been a blessing to be able to influence people's lives at work. So if you were talking to a young guy who is um, about to start his first job or his first job in a long time, what would you tell him about um, how he needs to behave in order to work his way up and get along with people and listen to his boss and that sort of thing? Well, I think the the main thing is to be able to enjoy your job, mm-hmm. do, do things responsibly, and uh, go the extra mile. If you go the extra mile, someone sooner or later is going to notice it. And if you if you are able to do that consistently, doors will begin to open up for you, and and the ladder just is is sky's the limit. You know when you when you bring good attitude, responsible work ethic, and always going the extra mile. And and the Lord does bless us. I mean, He was faithful in little will be made faithful over much. Right. Amen. I used to hire guys for my construction crew and. And they'd be around for two or three months, maybe six months, and then they would flake out. And I'd say, if you would just stay with me, you'll learn a trade. You'll have a future. And but you know, and a few guys would, but most guys, you know, they get restless, they get bored, they go out and get loaded or something. They don't show up. And yeah, consistency is the name of the game. And barbering is probably one of the industries where if you're not around the same spot. Forget it. You'll never make any progress because people mm-hmm. want to come and see you, yeah. not, not just whoever is there at the barbershop. What's the key to how you treat your customers? Um, uh, as if it was myself, you know. I, I, you know, and we joke around at the barbershop amongst mm-hmm. coworkers, and when we cut each other's hair, they'll tell us, "Hey, treat me like a customer," you know? <laughs> because <laughs> because really, really, yeah. If if you can be concerned about their life and not just yeah. their haircut, then the haircut becomes the last thing on their mind. But they want to get to know you. Yeah, yeah. Creating a relationship is what 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 is the key for success. To me, the key to creating that relationship is show an interest in the other person. Just ask them questions about themselves. That's find right. out about their family. Find out about their job. Find out what their dreams are. If you show interest in people, they realize, hey, this guy cares about me. Then they start to open their heart, right? Yes, and and yeah, and then the haircut, you could hack them and put enough gel in their hair that <laughs> they won't care. They like you. They love you. They'll come back anyways. <laughs> now, what do you do? Have you ever mangled a haircut? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I can go back all the way to barber school. Uh, the instructor made me do a haircut when I wanted to go home already, uh-huh. and he was a guy with a long mullet, something, you know, he looked like a palm tree, but I start cutting <laughs> into it. The first thing I cut is half of his ear, and the second thing, while well, I'm going through the hair, I cut half of my finger, so we're both bleeding, and I just, I gave up. I call for, I call for help. <laughs> yeah. When, so. I, when I was a kid... Um, my mom had four boys and four girls, right? So she would cut all the boys' hair, and she would put us in a chair, and she had one of those crew cut attachments that went on the electric uh, haircutting thing. Oh and she was 
cutting my hair with it. And she'd always leave a little tuff of hair in the real front, so we had something to comb. But she was yelling at one of the other kids who was fooling around and wasn't paying attention. And the crew cut thing snapped off the the, the hair cutting thing, and she just buzzed a big hole in the back yeah. of my head. Yeah. Even though it was your mom homemade, it's oh, not the best when it's a goodness. haircut. I was so upset. And... And I went to school. My solution was just to wear my baseball cap pulled down really low for about a month until it finally grew back out. Everybody knew Mark. Yeah, they knew. <laughs> but I just didn't want him to see yeah. it. You know, it was so embarrassing for me. That's funny. Well, Danny, I want to thank you um, for your friendship. I want to f- thank you for your faithfulness to Jesus. Um, you're going to have a launch on this new Spanish-speaking ministry. Give us a date, and if people want to bring a friend, where would they bring them? How would they refer them? Yeah, uh, so our campus is on 7000 North Central Avenue. We're at the Living Streams Church uh, uh, campus, and um, uh, the name for a Hispanic ministry will be Agua Viva, and we'll start on February the 21st at 12.15 p.m. If you know someone that could that that would that needs a church or that would need a new family uh, our services are going to be in Spanish our worship is going to be in Spanish and all our activities are going to be focused to bless the Hispanic community and, and grow in Christ together amen and well God bless you and may that ministry flourish my guest is Danny Berboa if you want more information you can contact us contact us at living streams. 602-957-7500, or look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. Danny, thank you very much. Um, my next guest is Kurt Cotter, and uh, Kurt and I have been working together for over 20 years. He's a friend and brother in Christ and a true man of God. Kurt, thanks so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Um, give us some of your background, Kurt. You're, you didn't exactly... Um, Grow up in Mexico as Danny did. You were in uh, sunny Southern California. Tell us about yourself and your family. Well, I grew up in a town called West Covina, California, in Southern California. Uh, yeah, I grew up one of seven kids in a good Catholic family. And, um, yeah, I graduated in 1976 and moved out here. And how did you end up really falling in love with Jesus? Well, that happened in high school. I had someone uh, named Andre Jackson who, uh, who actually kind of ran me down mm-hmm. at a car parts store to invite me to a Bible study. And I didn't even know what a Bible study was. Mm-hmm. And I uh, happened to have that, that weekend free. And so I said, sure, I'll just go. So I went to this. They were studying the book of John in a, in a circle in a home Bible study. And I heard the gospel. I got to, to just find out how the Bible applied to personal life and all these people who were so filled with Jesus. And I was fascinated, but I had a lot of questions and I asked them and Andre really knew how to answer those questions with scripture. So that night I received Jesus. First night, first Bible study, huh? That was it. That was easy fishing in those days. What year was that? That was 74, I believe. And and Andre is like a son of thunder. I mean, when uh-huh. he prayed over me, he it was like calling down lightning on me. And I he was praying in tongues, and he was like full of the Spirit. So that was, you know, I, I was like, wow, what is all of that? But um, soon after that, I found out about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and got filled. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Kurt, um, 
we've worked together for 20-some years, so we know each other really well. And I'm going to just ask you one question about how you became a pastor, and then I want to deal with some issues like marriage and family, which I think you've really got a lot of grace and wisdom for. Um, Tell us about your journey to become a pastor. Well, when I was in high school and I first came to Jesus, I I really had a strong desire, kind of figuring out what am I going to do with my life, is how can I help people? Mm-hmm. And and in trying to answer that question, uh, I realized that I, I had a calling to be a pastor and that um, I had a strong desire to go to Bible college. And so I that was my purpose for moving here to Phoenix was to go to a Bible college called Sweetwater Bible College. Mm-hmm. But I... It started as just a desire to to help people. I felt that if I learned to be a shepherd, that could be my greatest contribution. Amen and amen. So at Living Streams, you've been working with men, you've been working with couples, you've been working with families. Um, Give us the philosophy. I think you have a wonderful family. Your kids are grown. They love the Lord. Give us your philosophy for having a good marriage and for raising healthy kids? Well, I think one of the biggest things is leading by example. It's learning, um, you know, the Jesus style of servant leadership. It's washing the feet. And um, I just found that, you know, just Faith and I, I have an awesome wife, Faith, of 35 years. And uh, if I had to give anybody credit for the way our four kids turned out, it would have to be faith. And But she's been a stay-at-home mom, and she's just been a nurturing, loving, godly mother and, and wife. And uh, so I'm, I'm blessed there. But I would say, um, I mean, I, I'm finding learning to invite Jesus into the process mm-hmm. uh, as a husband, as a, as a father, um, and as a grandfather, I think at many times as Christians, we have all of this grace. We have the author of love living inside of us, and we have everything we need to have a, a healthy, vibrant marriage and family. Amen and amen. And that's our goal, to help disciples have healthy marriages, healthy families, and be an influence for God's kingdom. I'm interviewing Kurt Cotter. I'm Mark Buckley. We're both from Living Streams. We're glad to have you with us on the program today. Stay tuned. We've got... Much more to come after these messages. to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. With me in the studio is Kurt Cotter. Kurt, you do a lot of marriage counseling. You've raised your kids uh, yourselves. What are some of the things that you would like to say to some of the men or women listening that you think are really keys to having a good marriage? Uh, I would say, um, I mean, number one, I'd say uh, invest, invest into your marriage. Um, I think sometimes we put our marriage on cruise control 
and and things go wrong. We start to drift apart. And and if your attention is there on, on your spouse and, and you're drawn from grace to plant good seeds into your marriage, good things are going to come out. Mm-hmm. It's usually when people think, hey, I'm good, you know, and they begin to just put it on cruise and things fall apart without them even realizing it at times. Amen, unfortunately. Um, Kurt, one of your passions is prayer, the outpouring of the Spirit, revival. What's on your heart along those lines? Well, I really believe I've been praying for many years, like a lot of people, um, for a revival, a revival in Phoenix, Arizona, a revival in our nation. And as I have, I've been on a journey of discovery. And one of the things um, I'm finding out is what does revival look like? I think it's a word that's used and a lot of misconceptions are out there of what true revival is. Mm-hmm. And I've come to some some conclusions, and I believe we're seeing signs already of a rumbling and a beginning of it already here in our country. What are some of those signs? Well, one of the things is I see, um, well, the, the signs would be um, of, of a beginning of harvest. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there are those who feel the call to, um, to bring revival across our country, like Reinhard Bonnke and, and uh, Greg Laurie and what they're doing. And, and they're seeing a great harvest as God's spirit is being poured out. And it's really, to me, one of the main things that that really equates revival is harvest. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's one of them. I I see, you know, I'm, you and I have talked about revival, and it's, well, is it in the New Testament? And one of the things I saw is in uh, a sermon uh, from Peter in Acts chapter 3, mm-hmm. he, he, he preaches the gospel, and he says, there's, repent, therefore, um, and that there will be times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Amen. And that's Acts 3.19. And, and so to me, the word refreshing is actually uh, the catching of the breath in the Greek or mm-hmm. revival. Mm-hmm. When God's Spirit is poured out, there is a harvest of souls. There is a, there is a reviving of God's people by His Spirit, and things change. I think even whole cities can be transformed by the power of God when revival comes. Yeah. Well, Jerusalem was transformed, that's for sure. It was also stirred up, and it was eventually destroyed because, you know, not everybody got saved, even in the the outpourings of Pentecost, but 3,000 in one day and then 5,000, um, and, uh, and then it spread from there around the world. What do you think of when you think of a Christian who is revived? What does that mean to you? I see a person who really is in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they become someone who who just loves to press into his presence every day. They learn how to be led by him. He's truly the Lord of their life and their family. I think they're, they're so full of the Holy Spirit, they bubble over and they mm-hmm. overflow everywhere they go. Um, they're passionate about life, about um, winning the lost, about um, all that they do. There's, it's sort of like, you know, um, in the book of Revelation, I would that you were hot or that you were cold. Mm-hmm. I think they are hot, mm-hmm. and that's what makes them different. They're not lukewarm. How often do you run into people who don't know you who share Jesus with you, that try and witness to you, try and sow seeds into your life or lead you to Christ? 
You know, Mark, I can't think of any time that someone has has come to me and tried to tell me about Jesus uh, to convert me. Isn't that sad? <laughs> it is, Mark. Um, it seems like people walk around with blinders on, uh-huh. and they don't. They don't even seem to, uh, unless you engage with them, they right. don't usually engage with you. Right, right. That's that's my experience, too. I mean, you, you just flew to Hawaii and back, okay? Your wife's probably sitting next to you, but there's other people around. Um, I try and share the Lord, not on every single flight I take, but I look for an opportunity. The last flight I took, um, I was sitting next to a lady. I pull out my Bible. She mentions it. Turns out she ran a ministry in um, Holbrook for... Uh, Indian kids, and and she'll be a guest on this show one of these days. But um, I look for opportunities to share the Lord with people, to plant seeds that bring eternal life. But it's just really, really rare for anybody to ever initiate a relationship with me because you don't know what a, a believer looks like, you know. And you would think that out of all the years I'm traveling around, somebody would be trying to reach out. Now, I've had the opposite happen. I've been working out and been next to a guy and he's swearing and acting bad. And then I start sharing Jesus with him and find out he's actually a Christian, you know, goes to a good church, but he was just trying to be cool with me or something like that, yeah. which makes me real sad. That I, the trip back from Hawaii, I flew by myself. Mm-hmm. And so the lady I sat next to um, and her husband, they really, they seemed really sweet. I introduced myself right away. But I was busy reading a book and I had doing a bunch of things. And at the end of the almost six-hour flight, I engaged a conversation and found out she was a believer. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, it's same kind of thing. She wasn't going to engage the conversation with me. Right. I knew that. Right. But I just reached out to get to know them. Yeah. And that's really the start of what it means to share your faith, isn't it? It's it you really reach is. out, you show an interest in somebody, you ask them a little bit about their life. And you look for an opportunity to naturally share what's most important in your life. Yeah. It's almost like I found the cure right. to cancer, and I'm not going to hold it to myself. I'm going to find out if any you know those around me need the cure to cancer. Right. To me, that's what revival is. You're revived. You've been refreshed by the presence of the Lord. We had a refreshing night last night, didn't we? Oh, it was awesome. Tell them about it. <laughs> well, last night we had a worship night to end our, our 21-day fast at Living Streams. And uh, it, it was just a time where it's a little different than a Sunday morning service mm-hmm. because there would be a lot of worship and then a little bit of just a sense of free-flowing with people who had a prophetic word or something to share. And it just flowed, and I felt the joy and the excitement. Mm-hmm. I felt like we were being refreshed in the presence of the Lord last night. Amen. So tell us more on whatever's on your heart regarding what you believe God wants to do or is doing in the country today. Well, I think um, the other other pictures of revival, they're, they're now pouring of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, like today, it's raining. You know, there's, there's this picture in Joel, in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And it tells of all these gifts, you know, your sons and daughters will prophesy and mm-hmm. so forth. But it, the last days, most people would agree that we're in the last days, the last mm-hmm. of the last days. But it's an outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit that brings forth refreshing, that brings forth powerful manifestations. So I think that's one of the things. Another picture of revival is an awakening. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, Christians can get into a place where they're, they're kind of sleepy. Mm-hmm. They're, they, they need to be awakened. They need, they need to be stirred up because they get in, 
maybe like a cruise control in your marriage, but in your walk with Jesus, you're that yeah. way. So when when the spirit's poured out, there's there's this the waking up, wake those, wake you who sleep, and Christ will give you light. Amen. Um, that's one of the reasons we fast, isn't it? We fast because we want breakthroughs. I was talking with a guy last night after the meeting, and he just walked out filled with joy. And uh, I talked to him. I said, hey, how did you do on your fast? And he goes, and this is a guy, when I had taken a hike with him a few weeks ago, I said, are you fasting with us on Wednesdays? Because the whole church, we asked to fast on Wednesdays. No, nah, I have to work. It's a little harder. I said, well, have you chosen another day? Well, not yet. I said, do you ever fast? He goes, not really. And I just challenged him. I said, come on, man. You're talking to me about these trials you're having. You're talking about your need for breakthrough. Why aren't you willing to fast? So I, I see him last night. I said, how did it go on your fast? And he's so full with joy. And he said, well, after the fourth day, I started to get a little lightheaded. I said, the fourth day? He goes, yeah, I fasted those first three days. He went four days, man, just on water. And I was so happy. I said, man, I am so proud of you. But here he is. He's like a new man. He's revived. He's alive because he finally realized that life as he was living it was never going to change. If things are going to change, you've got to be willing to obey what Jesus said. And he said, after the bridegroom's gone, then the disciples will fast. Yeah. I think that's key, Mark. I think when when you each of us seeks a personal awakening, a personal revival, mm-hmm. and to be filled ourselves, that's where it all begins. Yeah. And then we become we start to be so filled that there's an overflow. And ministry and what you give out becomes the overflow of what the Lord pours into you, of the grace, of the love, of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's what's exciting in our church is to see people getting that and starting to see transformation. When God's Spirit comes in, He changes things. He transforms us by His glory. And I think that's, you know, the things that a lot of times are the trials we go through, I think, are pointing us that we need a change. Mm-hmm. We need to be transformed. Amen and amen. So what else is on your heart in our last few minutes? Well, there's one of the things that I like to look at as a template of revival is the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. And when you see the early church, the early church started out with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, I see it like a big old earthquake Mm -hmm. that started on Pentecost. And it could happen right here in Phoenix, Arizona, that we'll be witnesses in Phoenix and Arizona and our nation and to Mm -hmm. the uttermost parts of the earth. But what I saw in there was they were not, there was something about their message because the early church it says they were they were witnesses. And so after Pentecost happened, they went out into all the world and preached the gospel. So what ended up happening in, in chapter 3 is, is Peter and John went to a prayer meeting, just having a regular day. Mm-hmm. As they were praying, they come out of the prayer meeting, and there's a man, a lame man, who needs healing. And so you know the story. They say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Well, what happens after that is he's, Peter is, is questioned by all of the religious leaders. What is going on? And he says, um, 
he begins to preach the gospel. He says, I, it's not by my power this man was healed. And he begins to preach a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he focuses on the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. And as he preaches the resurrection, there are 5,000 people saved that day. That is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley, and with me in the studio is Kurt Cotter. Before we uh, wrap this up, I want to just tell you how to come to Living Streams if you're ever interested. We have services at 9.15 and 11 a.m. every Sunday morning at the corner of Central and Glendale. That's where Living Streams is located. We'd love to have you join us. You can check us out live stream, podcast, um, anything you want on the web at livingstreams.org. Kurt, you've got something else on your heart about a focus you believe people should have. What's that? Yeah, the story I was sharing uh, from Acts 3 about Peter and John and the, the layman that was healed was the fact that they paid attention to one person. The Lord highlighted one person when they came out of the prayer meeting. And I believe, I keep hearing the Lord tell me, pray that I would lead you to the one each day. And I have this what if inside of me that says, what if all of us as followers of Jesus would ask the Holy Spirit to lead us every single day to just one person, one person we could love on, one person we could share the gospel with, one person we can pray for that's sick, one person. And what happened in this situation, one person being healed and brought to Jesus turned into 5,000 people being saved. Amen. So focus on the one. Yeah. Kurt, are you praying for this city? I'm praying. I'm praying for the rain to fall down on Phoenix and the Valley of the Sun. Amen and amen. Well, we want to thank you for being with us today on Koinonia. This is a great opportunity for us, and you've got a great opportunity as well to preach the Word of God, to share your faith, to let the Lord use you. Don't be shy. He wants to use you. He's got a plan for your life. Let it happen. In Jesus' name, walk into your destiny, fulfill your ministry, and you will never regret it. Thanks for being with us today on Koinonia.